0: Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute.
1: Many people want to know how we can keep a balance between working in the world and keeping our faith. This is a reason why a lot of people even doubt the vocation of the Catholic business leader. I'd like in today's gospel to look at how Jesus responds to that question by cleansing the temple and by speaking specifically to the importance of giving to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Let's listen in here to get insight together from God's word on how we live in the world but not of it. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Come, O Holy Spirit, Father of the poor, illumine the hearts of thy faithful, and enkindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy Spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who didst instruct the hearts of thy faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant us in the same Spirit to be truly wise, and ever to rejoice in his consolation through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Joseph, pray for us in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, we, gosh, we're gathered in order to reflect together on this incredible call that God gives to us to be engaged in this world. And I really want to emphasize that. This is a call, everybody. It's something that, it's like a, a mission that we, we gain and that Christ has entrusted to us and that he has not entrusted to anyone else. And, and I mean that because a lot of times as Catholics, we, we hear over and over again about the importance of the priesthood, the importance of sisters. I mean, how many of us were raised by sisters in the schools? They taught us how to pray. They taught us how to fold our hands. They taught us how to read, how to write an incredible amount, you know. And then when you look at all the pictures of anything that's religious, uh, it's usually the priest who's right in the center, and he's there with his cassock, you know, and his his funny hat, you know, that he wears. And and, and people, we we tend to identify evangelization and doing God's work with being a religious. And then the rest of the people, that is like the 99.99% of humanity, we, we end up feeling like, well, our job is just somehow worldly and therefore it's somehow compromised, right? It's like, we feel like we, we don't really stand for anything that's perennial, anything that's even close to being eternal in value. And so we undervalue what we do. And because we undervalue what we do, the worst thing happens. And that's that we don't end up giving it the importance that it actually has, I'll give you an example, right? So at Eagle Eye Ministries, uh, I work with young people. For 16 years now, I've worked on the front lines evangelizing young adults, right? So when it comes to cultural wars, I know them from the inside out because that's where my sheep are, okay? The thing that I've realized more than anything, and it's a message I really want to give to you, is that we live today in a culture where it's like a free market economy and therefore a free market culture. What I mean by that is whoever wants to have the microphone the most will be able to talk into it. Whoever wants to have their message sold more than anyone else will find their message being sold in our, in our today's world. And so the, the young people who we have in our families and who are out there, they're just like looking around saying, who wants us most? And, what, and it's not just a matter of buying things. It's a matter of behaviors. I mean, who is it that's telling your children to act in the way that they're acting? Is it you or is it somebody else? And when we look around, we say, well, I mean, like, it is me, but they don't listen to me. You know, it's like, well, then what, what are the people doing to make them listen to them? You know, the ones that they're listening to. Have we ever thought about that? Why is it that these other people are being so much more successful than you at setting the culture in your home? How many of you could look around and say, I'm living at home the way that I want us to live. That my family is following in the the, the pathway that I've set out for it. How many? How many of you are even able to say that you're living yourselves the lives that you want to live, that your house looks the way you want it to look, that you have a day that you're in control of. I mean, it's almost none of us, right? We look around and if we think about how many of our friends could say the same thing, it's like all of us are waiting to retire to actually start to live. This is, this is, (laughs) it's like, and then when we get to retirement, the worst thing happens. We discover that then, well, the grandkids have caught up to us, so I'm not really going to be... (laughs) And now I've got to run after them and then I've got to run after my great nieces and my great nephews and then, and then there's going to be, I have to work longer than I wanted to to make enough money to retire on, etc. 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 And we don't get until we're finally at a stage in our life where maybe we've got a good 10, 15 years that we've worked our entire life for and unless something comes along to take that away from us too. And it's because we are relying on everything else in our life to give us the the life that we want to live. We're waiting for the government to change, that the government could be the way that the government could be. I mean, government's not going to be able to answer that problem for us, but we kind of think it will be. And so we just want the next one to come in or the next senator to come in, the next laws to come in. And and, and, and if it's not the laws, then we wait for the economy to shift. or Then we wait for our investments to come, uh, you know, to mature. We... We, it's so funny how everybody else around us is responsible for us. And, and then when it comes to our family, oh, if only our neighbors didn't live next to us. If only we had a better school. If only the nuns were back in the school again teaching the kids. We can point fingers all around at everything on the outside. Essentially missing the number one reason why our life is not the way we want it to be. And our family is not the way that we want it to be. And that's the simple fact that we haven't fought hard enough to bring the culture to our family and to bring the culture of Christ into our homes. We are not leading. And, and I, we just have to own that. The day, the moment that I stand up and start to lead is the moment that people start to follow. <laughs> Let me say that again, right? So like, if people, if, you're, if people aren't following you, most likely it's because you're not leading. Where can people, where can people point to you and say, this is where you're actually are leading me. This is, you're showing me the way you are setting the example and you are doing it effectively. You're making me listen. I, you found a way to capture my heart. I have wanted to walk in the footsteps that my dad or my mom is laying out for me. And if they're not, well then ask why it's a free market culture. What can I do? to sell this idea, to sell this behavior, to, you know, in a positive sense, right? Because you're not selling anything. But like, how can I bring people's hearts where I want them to be? This is the great adventure of our lives once we choose to engage them for Jesus Christ. This is the place where we find inside the challenge of Christ to us. I put you on this world to make a difference and I've given you the authority that I have myself as a priest, prophet, and a king because I want you to exercise that authority in my name effectively. Once I accept that, that mantle of leadership, once I take in my hands that scepter, so to speak, you know, in a good sense of the term, right? But like that, that, that ruling authority that I have and I start to claim it, then I can start to expect to see challenges. But as long as I'm sitting back thinking somebody else is going to do it, guess what? somebody else will do it it's just nobody else will do it in the way that i could have done it if i would have laid hold of that grace that was mine in jesus christ and made that difference this is why we need to listen to god's word and this is why we need to let him show us the way
0: father nathan is producing an ongoing source of videos to form unite and inspire you and your family Go to EagleEyeMinistries.org, that's E-A-G-L-E-E-Y-E-Ministries.org, and subscribe to Eagle Eye Pro. Subscribe today.
1: Open your Bibles here with me. I, I want to take a look, especially today, we're looking at, at Mark, right? It's as part of our series. We're working our way through the gospel of St. Mark, and we're asking ourselves, where are lessons that Christ gives to his leaders? And uh, we've looked at the calling of the apostles. We looked at the lesson of generosity in Mark 8. And then we've gone on to to talk about Mark 8 through 10 and the way that the cross and the glory are linked. I want to focus in now, especially at Mark chapter 11 and chapter 12, because here we have two scenes that go hand in hand and they're right at the heart of the issue we're, I, how is it that I, what, what is my mission as a leader in the secular world? How do I balance that leadership and that mission with my religious obligations to God? The two seem like they belong to two separate spheres of existence, two separate worlds, and yet they don't. Let's take a look. Mark chapter 11, verses 19, 15 to 19. a den of robbers, and the chief priests and the scribes heard it, and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. Okay, so this is this is actually situated. It's right in the part of the Bible in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus is preparing to enter into his passion. Okay, so you've got all this teaching in Mark 8 through 10 of the passion, how he's going to suffer and die. Then in chapter 11, Jesus enters into Jerusalem. So he rides on the donkey. People are singing Hosanna. This is the big triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And the very first thing that he does, when they came to Jerusalem, he enters the temple and begins to drive out those who sold and bought in the temple. All right, so this really fits into to, to what we're, we think, right? Because we're like, yes, this goes to show us that selling things and buying things is bad and that Jesus doesn't want that and he overturns the money changers. There's something wrong with money, right? This is what, this is what a lot of people will say, right? The same people who will, will later on go and try to sell you something. <laughs> At the end of their talk, they say, and by the way, I've got sweatshirts in the back, right? So, you know, it's, it's like, because... It doesn't make sense. You, you can't, it, not, oh, it doesn't make sense, C-E-N-T-S. It's a little pun there, no, but it, it doesn't make sense for us to, to be criticizing the very process that keeps society going as if somehow this world was bad. Buying and selling is not a bad thing. Buying and selling in the temple and letting that replace religious worship, that, in fact, is a, a, a bad thing, and Christ here is going to purify it. But we sometimes will go too far and we'll look down on things like, I don't know, soccer games or I don't know, music lessons or uh, going to work every day or making a profit. And we'll, we'll hold ourselves as if this was somehow contrary to the gospel. And then if you are engaged in the world of business, will you end up walking around feeling guilty your whole life? And you don't have priests that preach to you about the importance of what you're doing. And so you end up just saying it's not that important. Now here's why this is so important. When you say that your vocation and your mission as a leader engaged in business is not important, you lay down your spiritual arms of combat. And you no longer bring the gospel of life into that business trade. And that's when it becomes dangerous because when the light is no longer there, darkness wins. The only way for darkness to defeat light is for darkness to convince the light not to shine. And we do it ourselves because then we don't encourage you as priests, we don't encourage you enough to take up that light and to charge into that darkness of management, of numbers Because these things are not morally wrong. They are morally neutral activities that can be sanctified by God. You sanctify the life, even of making profit. Yes, you sanctify it by your generosity through it. And by the success that you gain, not just for yourself by that profit, but for this world through your profit. In other words, if God has entrusted success to you, it's so that he knows that you be a steward of that success, but you can't be a steward of something that doesn't exist. And to say that business somehow isn't driven towards success, it's like to negate the very process. The process of business is ordered towards success, to deliver those goods for the good of the world and to deliver them in a way that sanctifies in a way that uplifts, in a way that fortifies this world and makes it a better place. And this is a noble calling. The problem is not here in this gospel that Jesus is condemning business. The problem is that the business people have lost their sense of true balance. They haven't done their business in the correct place. They've allowed it to take over their whole life. It's just like anything The problem isn't in what we do. The problem is in the excess that we do it with. And let me tell you, this does not just apply to business. This applies to every working profession. I remember the story, you know, one time I I was talking with a a man and he was sharing with me about, you know, uh, his friends who were just working so much and they they were working so much that their kids hardly knew who they were. And I remember he just looked sad and he said, well, you know, sometimes sometimes, it's easier to work than to go home to your family. And I think he was, I think he was speaking, right? I mean, like, don't you guys agree that it, it, sometimes there, it is easier because where you're at work, you're in your talents. When you're at work, you're shining. When you're at work, you're challenged. But you're challenged in a way that you can do something about. It's so hard for certain personalities. Other personalities is not a problem at all. But for certain personalities, it's very difficult to spend that quality time, especially with children, or especially with spouses uh, that, uh, of different, uh, you know, when you're in the work environment, things are controlled. And if you are a working temperament, they're controlled to focus you on what you do best. And that is to work. It's a challenge to put that down. And then when you take prayer, and you throw that in the mix. At the same time, you got family life on the one hand. Then you got your religious life and prayer on the other. You're just like, I mean, it... it What am I supposed to do? That's what a lot of people tell me. I say, why don't you pray more? Why don't you make a holy hour, right? And it's just like, for some people, that's so hard because they they sit there and they don't know what to say. They don't know what to do. And that makes them feel inadequate and it makes them feel like a failure. So they just stop. Now, on the one hand, I feel like challenging them and saying, hang on, just because something's hard, what if in the business world or what if in your professional world, in your career, you were to say, oh, this is hard and uncomfortable. I'm just going to stop. Well, I mean, you don't do that. Instead, you need to rise up to it. You try to master it. You learn that new skill and you move forward. Well, prayer is the same way. And yet, a lot of us stop at the doorway. And then, what's the worst that we say? We don't have time for it. So, I don't have time for my family. I really wish I could be there. It's like that song, The Cat's in the Cradle, right? The Cat's in the Cradle, Silver Spoon, Little Boy Blue, and The Man in the Moon. When you coming home, Dad? I don't know when. But we'll get together then, son. You know we'll have a good time then. And then the dad grows up. And then the son grows up. And at the end of the son's life, the son does the same thing to the dad. The dad says, son, can you sit for a while? And the son says, I'd like to, but you know, I've, I've got to keep moving, dad. And the dad says, you know what? He grew up to be just like me. We all feel like that pain of regret. But that's exactly what we do. Now, I want to get into why we do it. And I think that the secret lies in our lack of balance, so let's take a look at what Jesus
0: says about that. Father Nathan has founded the St. John Institute, the MBA program that develops students into the leaders of tomorrow by giving them a missionary's heart and an entrepreneur's mind. Visit our website at stjohninstitute.org. Dare great things for Christ.
1: Okay, so. We're trying to find how is it that I can balance. I, I've got these different priorities. On the one hand, I've got where my talents are, my strengths are, and yet there I'm told that my purpose doesn't lie, even though, of course, it does. But then again, I've got other things where my purpose lies I don't have time for them. That's called a, an unbalanced life, you guys. This is not the way we're supposed to live. You're not supposed to be putting... your, your, your your energies towards things that don't have purpose. You're supposed to align your passion and your purpose. But my purpose, number one is found in my religion. Number two is found in my family. And then number three is found in my workplace. The thing is, is that all three are important and all three are purposeful. And what we end up doing is saying, well, I'm going to put all my time in one or the other. So either I become a super religious person and then i make fun of the world of, of my professional life or i tell say "Oh, those people are worldly because i'm praying all the time this is not good or i throw it at myself i just say i'm not really worthy of religion i'm not really worthy of my family i'm just going to do what i am good at and then secretly we feel guilty and really is, we, we might need to because then things unravel how do i integrate them christ into in the gospel here in mark chapter 11 isn't saying how you don't integrate and how you don't balance. He's saying how you do. And the very first thing that we do is that we put the correct order into our life. St. Augustine said it beautifully. Peace is the fruit of order. The, the, The question is not, do I do this and not do this? The question is, what is the order What's the very first thing that I have to have as my anchor for the rest? Because when I say order, I don't say one and not the other. I say the others because of the one. It's I live everything because of this one. If I have the one in the correct place, then the others hinge on it and build on it. And the one according to Christ is prayer and our relationship with God to keep the temple to be sacred and his rights to be respected. He says this in another spot here right after this. So in Mark 11, he does this. And then in Mark 12, it says this, Mark twelve thirteen, They sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why do you put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. I think we marvel at him, too, because here Jesus just said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. In other words, give to this world what belongs to this world. Well, what belongs to this world? Greatness, improvement, progress, delivered goods that are quality and wonderful and beautiful. Well, then give to this world what belongs to it. Make this world beautiful. Beautiful. your job in this world is not to to ruin it or to work against it it's to make it succeed and for that he's called you into this world so give to this world what belongs to it but give to god what is god's and what belongs to god prayer sacrifice honor i do not show in honor to the things of this world that belongs to god it doesn't make sense, right? It's like, it's, it's illogical for us to give to the crea- to creature what belongs to the creator. This is why the very first thing that he asks of us is to rectify the heart of adoration. He goes into our temple and he says, this belongs to God. So when I allow him to do that and I follow him there, well, I start to give to God what belongs to God. Worship and honor and sacrifice, Right, where does this take well this is why the church says you got to go to mass every sunday and, and when people tell me you know what father i don't think i need church or i don't need to go to mass i can pray to god in my room i stop for a second i said go back to mark chapter 11 he didn't say to pray in his room he said to pray in the temple why because when you go to the temple there's an act of homage that you render to god even in your body You get up out of your room and off of your couch. You dress up and you head to church. That is an act of worship already. You're offering your body to God by offering your time and your sacrifice and your inconvenience. You're giving homage in public to him so that this whole world bend its knee in front of him. Because you're bending your knee in front of him. And not just folding your hands at your house or in your deer stand. You know, people say, Father, I didn't go to Mass because it's deer season. I'm like, you can pray to God in a deer stand. You can find God in a deer stand. I don't doubt that. You just can't go to Mass in a deer stand. (laughs) You got to get out of your deer. And that's the whole beauty of it. Because now you're showing your kids and your wives and your husbands and your friends. You're showing them that there is a God because you're rendering him the public homage. When I start there, my life starts to go and form in a circle around it. I understand that my work has its passion and purpose because of the mission that I've received in my heart from God. When I start by honoring God and I start by putting him first in my life and I start my day with a prayer, well then everything else that I do takes on that mission. My family becomes the very first thing that I claim for God because my spouse was given to me by God and entrusted to me by God. And so my relationship with God becomes the the impetus and the shield that I place around my family. And I become the more dedicated to my family and in my family life because of my, my relationship with God. And I become more innovative and more creative and more dedicated to my profession because of my relationship with God and of my family. I need to make my family proud. I need to provide for my family well. And I need to show my children the mission that God gave us to give our greatness to his world and to bring this on. My friends, the more that you align your passion with your true purpose and the more that you have true order, the more that you will have true peace and the more that your whole life will become integrated. Starting with God, overflowing into family, following through with your profession, the three hinge together, express one another and we're in an upward spiral,
0: daring great things for Christ. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.